0: Hello, I am Rachel, and I am a completely made-up staff member here at Slippery Fish Entertainment, the production company for Plausibly Live, The Dave Bowman Show. I am so glad that you are enjoying this episode of Dave Does History on Bill Mick Live. Dave joins Bill every Tuesday at 8 a.m. to talk about his passion for the past and what it means to us today. You can always catch more of Dave at plausiblylive.com or on his Facebook history page. Just search for Dave Does History, 1787— And make sure that you select it as a favorite to get all the daily updates and posts. While you are there, please be sure to check out our other podcasts, such as What the Frock and The Sub Vet. All of these are available at plausiblylive.com. Thank you so very much, and I hope that I can talk with you again very soon.
1: Behold, a gateway to your own past, if you wish. history's strange it's alien and it won't give us what we would like to have the West Coco Pharmacy brings you hour three of Bill Mick Live on this Tuesday morning it is the 15th day of August 2023. Good to have you along on 92.7 FM WMMB, 1240 and 1350 AM, and, of course, the iHeartRadio app, wherever you might be listening. Uh, No phone calls to the last segment of this hour, because every Tuesday it is Dave Does History on Bill Mick Live. Links to Dave's um, podcast page and his history bibliography for you at BillMick.com on the show page today that's entitled Movies, Indictments, and Diversions. We're going to divert from the indictment stuff and go to World War II for a little while with Dave Bowman. Dave, how are you, buddy?
0: I'm good, Bill. It's uh, it's good to be back.
1: Yeah, you uh, had a nice little family trip, got away for a little bit, and uh, now we're back at it. Most of us would think of World War II as we drop a couple of bombs on Japan and the war ends right there. Not as clean as that, is it?
0: That's the general presumption. Uh, the bombs ended the war, you know, saved thousands of lives and so forth and so on. But what people don't seem to connect is that we dropped the bomb, the first bomb, Hiroshima, on August 6th, the second one on August 9th, but it isn't until more than a week later that the Japanese actually announced their surrender. And it's that intervening week that is really odd and kind of a callback in many ways to the First World War and the ending of that. One of the more fascinating things to me, uh, the... I'm not sure why this fascinates me so much, but the last day of a war is always so strange. You know what I mean? How, how would you like to be that last guy that falls on the last day in the last minute of a war? And you get in this situation where you wonder if people will even take risks. We have stories during World War one of an American general who. He was mad about the armistice. He was he was furious about the fact that we were going to allow the Germans to quit. And so in the last hour of the 11th of November in 1918, he ordered his troops forward. He wanted to take more ground. And the Germans behind their machine guns were just waving, go back, we don't want to shoot you. And this guy just was insane. He wanted to take these grounds. It's a find- lot
1: like the retiring cops that I've worked with in the past, right? They get into their last week, their last day, and all of a sudden they're hanging around the office. They don't want to go take the call because you don't want the last call to be
0: your last call, right? And yet there's people who, I, I mean, I hate to say it, but you know, desk-bound generals who don't necessarily see it that way. And we find ourselves, we found ourselves in that situation in World War One, and we're going to find ourselves in that situation in World War Two. The same day that we dropped the atomic bomb on Japan, the last United States Navy submarine was lost that day with all hands, the USS Bullhead. And I tell you, that's one of those ones that it makes me think, I mean, how would you like to be those guys? You're so close, so close to the end, and yet you don't make it. And it's 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 hard for people. And as as those bombs detonated, as those two bombs detonated, the... Historical perception has been that those ended the war, but they didn't. We still had another week or so to go, and that week would prove to and be... And it
1: wasn't a week of slow contemplation either.
0: N- not really, no. It would prove to be every bit as bloody as the first week of the war.
1: Dave Bowman with us from Silverdale, Washington this morning, talking the end of World War II.
0: Dave, where are we sitting? So the strategic situation after the after the second atomic bomb, is, is pretty clear. Japan is beaten. They have literally no Navy left. They have almost no Air air Force left. They The people are starving because they have no ability to move uh, supplies in. And it's just a tragedy. And yet you have a government in Japan at the time that is determined to keep fighting. They're just, you know, whether it's the Bushido Code or whatever you want to call it, they don't want to give up, but their people are just absolutely beaten and beaten down. It's to the point now, Bill, where when the B-29s come over Japan to drop bombs, there's no defense against it at all. There's almost no no opposition fighters, nothing. And so these bombers are dropping their, their payloads with almost impunity, which is very demoralizing to the Japanese people. The Japanese have offered to surrender. They want a condition, though. And that condition is they want to keep their emperor, Hirohito, in power. And the American and the Allied response really is, no, unconditional surrender is it. That's all we will accept.
1: Or we turn Japan into a parking lot. Yeah.
0: Well... See, we never really made that threat because, as it turns out, we only had two atomic bombs. Well, we actually had three, but one of them we had to experiment with back in July. So we mm-hmm. don't, we don't mm-hmm. even actually have any more atomic bombs right now. It's going to take some time to spin that back up. So really what we have is Carl Spatz and the strategic bombings campaign, which right now, from August 9th to about August 13th, We're going to take a little bit of a stand down. We're going to give the Japanese a little chance to think about things. Think this through. See if this is really the direction you want to go because they are beaten, Bill. I I don't think people really understand, you know, five million tons of cargo shipping had been lost in the space of three years. Wow. And you live on an island. If you have no way of bringing in food, you can't grow enough food on Japan to feed them. If you have no way of bringing in food or fuel or anything, how do you live? You know, we hear these commercials all the time for, you know, be ready for the next big thing, you know, buy your food now, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. Nobody in Japan was thinking in those terms. And over three years, losing five and a half million tons of cargo shipping, they were starving.
1: David, they've been convinced by their own government propaganda that, hey, we're winning this thing. In spite of what you're seeing here, we're winning, and we're going to keep going. Was it that kind of message? You know,
0: it's a fascinating thing. There's an old Russian saying about governments, you know, as long as they keep pretending to pay us, we'll keep pretending to work. (laughs) People aren't as dumb as their governments think they are. And while you had certainly fanatical elements in the Japanese government – the Japanese people knew that they were beaten. I mean, they, they're listening to the voice of America. They're listening to these. They understand that you can't get a strategic victory as the tr- strategic victories keep coming closer and closer to the Japanese islands. That means you're losing because these these great victories are closer and closer. And they know that they're losing people. Our sons are leaving. Our husbands are leaving. Um, it, it, it's not a good situation. But SPATS... Carl Car- uh, Spatz the general who's in charge of strategic bombing decides after the second atomic bombing we're going to stand down for a little while. He doesn't really define what that little while is. But in the meantime these diplomatic channels are open and messages are flying back and forth between Japan and particularly the Swiss who are communicating with the allies about you know look if you just let us keep our emperor we'll surrender. No Unconditional surrender or nothing. And the threats continue. I mean, we've already dropped two atomic bombs. The Japanese don't know that we don't have any more yet. They don't understand it's going to take time. And so even that threat is just a threat. It's just sort of a, we're playing poker. Let's see if we can bluff them. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, the preparations for Operation Coronet are going forward, which is going to be the actual physical invasion of Japan, for which the United States government has ordered literally millions of Purple Heart medals, which they are going they, that they figure they're going to need Bill for the injuries and casualties in this in this invasion. When that doesn't happen, they put all of those medals into storage, and I think if I remember right, they gave out the very last one of those during the Second Gulf War. Oh wow! That's how long they had those things. That's how many of those they had on standby because they were, they thought, well, this invasion is going to be costly. The Japanese government is, it's kind of a strange thing for us because we don't, you know, we don't comprehend how other governments work in most cases. You have a prime minister and a a war minister who are just absolutely, we're going to fight on. And you have the rest of the cabinet, which is primarily civilians saying, no, this is bad for the country. And everybody's staring at the emperor saying, what do we do? Which is very unusual, because the emperor's not supposed to speak to his minions. But he finally does, and he tells them very simply, this is all he says, bear the unbearable. Well, what does that mean? We still got to decide. We still got to find out. And in the meantime, Spatz Go has, die for the glory of the empire is what it yeah, sounds like. Kind of. And Spatz has decided we've waited long enough
1: interesting and we'll see where it all takes us well took us it'll take us there today with dave bowman and dave does history on bill mick live we'll get your calls on our final segment of the day that'll start about eight forty-two. 42 so if you have thoughts on all of this get them together we'll talk to you in our final segment as we continue dave does history right here on bill mick live bowman joins us for our weekly dive into history pay attention there will be a test nah there won't be a test but you will be held accountable bill mick live thank you victor lyle dave bowman is with us getting up early in silverdale washington to bring us dave does history in this hour that's brought to you by the west cogo pharmacy hey remember we're starting at our nine o'clock hour at nine in that nine o'clock hour also in our one and five p.m. hours a chance for you and a friend to win your way to Vegas for the iHeartRadio Music Festival. We'll throw in a $1,000 gift card, airfare, ground transportation in Vegas, and a uh, hotel for two for two nights and two tickets to the iHeartRadio Music Festival. You text the keyword to 200200 200 when you hear it here on WMMB. So we're in the the closing days of World War II. Dave, war in Germany's over or war with Germany is over and Japan's hanging in there to the end? Is that
0: what we're looking at here? Well, and that's, you know, Roosevelt's Germany first strategy was carried out to the letter. Karl Spatz is an, is the general in charge of the strategic bombing, and he's an interesting guy because he had been in charge of the same thing in Europe. He's the guy that was running these thousand bomber raids over Germany in the latter days of the war. He is actually present at both German surrenders, the one at Reims to the Western Allies, the one in Berlin to the to the uh, Russians. And mm-hmm. later, he is the only flag officer. He'll be at all three surrenders because he will go to the Japanese surrender in September as well. But right now, he's in charge of strategic bombing. And everybody's getting antsy because the stand down was expected. Everybody expected the war to be over. Everybody expect. They, people were like, we dropped
1: two nukes right. on them. They should learn the lesson. It's time to give up. Right, but they're not
0: giving up. And so Spatz is getting a little antsy, along with his his people, because everybody wants to go home, and they want to go home alive. And he also has this an insane obsession. Remember what I was talking about before with the the American general of World War One. He hasn't gotten to run a, a thousand bomber raid in the Pacific. And he is of the opinion that if he could just do, if I could just do 1,000 bomber raid, they'll give up. The problem is he doesn't have a thousand B-29s. He only has 800 of them. Although the Eighth Air Force is moving into Okinawa, and there may be just enough to get to that thousand bombers if they can get organized and get it, you know, rolling. Mm-hmm. He thinks that a show of power will push Japan to the final decision to surrender. And this is something people don't really understand. The atomic bombs were horrifying, they were destructive, and they were intentionally used on cities that had not previously been bombed, because otherwise we would have had no way of knowing, you know, what they did. The problem is that basically the rest of the country, even if you had a third atomic bomb...
1: Our connection's digitizing just a bit, Dave, and I'm uh, not quite you're not quite caught up with us. Let's see if it uh, picks up now. Yeah, better.
0: The problem that they've got is even if they have a third atomic bomb, they don't have anything to drop it on. There's nothing left. Japan has been bombed to the Stone Age. And Spatz comes up with this idea that he says, well, let's let's give them one good raid on August 14th. We'll start it real early in the morning, and we'll see what happens. And so he loads up as every bomber he can get, 800 of them or so, with, with gasoline and with incendiary devices, and he's just going to burn Japan to the ground on August 14th, the day before the war ends. The problem, and what he doesn't know, is that the Japanese have already decided that they're going to go ahead and surrender. And even as the bombers begin to roll off Tinian Island and fly towards Japan, it's going to take... Close to 15 hours for all of these bombers to take off. The last one won't take off until well after sunset. All these bombers rolling to Japan. And in the meantime, Japan has already made its decision. We're going to surrender. But there's no way to call these planes back. And there's no way to stop this last raid. Which, by the way, Spatz will issue a press release for, in which he will claim that there are a thousand aircraft, because he's going to count the fighter planes that go along with them. So he doesn't get his 1,000 okay. bombers, but he does get a 1,000 planes.
1: So we're in the final day of the war now in Japan. We've we we got bombers we can't call back.
0: No, and we're literally in the final hours of this. I'm fascinated by the fact that Spatz releases, before the before half the planes have taken off, he releases a press release to the world about this 1,000-plane raid uh, that's coming to Japan. Of course, the people aren't getting those issues, but the the government is. The emperor says to his staff, to his cabinet, bear the unbearable. Now, he means surrender, but it's vague enough that maybe that doesn't mean that. Maybe it means bear, bear bear the destruction of our country at the at the hands of the allies. Who knows? But most of them take this. No,
1: I would have taken it, right? Yeah. They suffer through it. You're serving me. That's what you do.
0: Most of them take that as we're going to surrender some of his, his cabinet and his staff actually commit ritual suicide because they don't want to give up. But the majority of them accept that this is a surrender, except for a very small hardcore element of the Japanese army military structure. They get the word that the ally, that the surrender is going to be accepted and they go berserk. They start grabbing American POWs and beheading them. Ooh. Because they don't they don't want to give up. The Emperor goes to a radio studio to record his message of surrender. He keeps getting interrupted by these air raids because the air raids are coming over and they have to get him to safety. And this keeps interrupting everything. And so it takes him literally hours to record this very relatively short message that his people have never heard his voice before. And then when it's finally finished, there's a butler that works for him that actually takes the record album, because remember, that's how they did it back then. You know, we mm-hmm. use digital stuff, but once upon a time, they used plastic. And he hides it in a closet. And the reason he does this is because there are rumors flying all around the palace of an impending coup. There is going to be an, an attempted military coup as soon as the sun goes down to get rid of the people who have agreed to surrender and interpret the emperor's bear the unbearable as we will fight on to the end. And this little coup is, it's one of the more tragic stories of the Second World War. It doesn't get a lot of play. This goes on for several hours. And there are people who will tell you that the emperor's life was in danger. They were probably willing to kill the emperor to continue fighting this war. And the butler... Is very concerned about those rumors, and so he hides the record because he thinks that if we don't surrender, the Americans are going to drop another atomic bomb on us, and not knowing that we didn't have one. Right. Which is interesting because it tells us that they knew what the atomic bomb was. They understood that. Mm-hmm. He's terrified of this, and so he hides the record. And as the bombing runs begin to. As in
1: to preserve it, not yes, to
0: keep from being right, used. Exactly. Yeah, The bombing runs are going on, and incendiaries are being dropped all over Japan. Thousands of people are being killed. In the last hours of the war, Bill, thousands of people are being killed. And as the runs are continuing, the final message goes to the Swiss. We give up. We surrender. We accept your terms. Unconditional surrender. There's one B-29 that after it drops its bombs... The pilot says to himself, you know, I'm probably never going to be back here again. And so he actually goes sightseeing over Japan. Oh, wow. Not making this up. He goes to Hiroshima because he wants to see what it looks like. He flies his B-29 to Hiroshima.
1: And we'll wrap it up and take your calls in our next segment with Dave Bowman.
0: Till the last minute? The radio clock waits for no one. Call Bill now at 321-768-1240.
1: Yeah, if you've got thoughts on the closing days of World War II, Dave Bowman with us as Dave does history on Bill McLeod He's Tuesdays at 8 a.m. You've got the number. that you want to play along? Um, West Coco Pharmacy, this hour's sponsor as we uh, bring our day to a close. Dave, we are in the waning hours of this war. There was a
0: coup attempt and it really didn't pan out. It was very violent. Uh, People need to understand that men were being killed, now on the same side, in essence a civil war almost, in this coup attempt. But it ultimately fails. And as it fails, the bombers are still flying over. Remember, it took more than 16 hours for all the, the bombers to take off from Tinian. They're still dropping their bombs. But as the coup fails, and the last bombers turn back, towards 10 A.M. after, dropping their loads. It's just, there wasn't much left to burn in Japan. I mean, there really wasn't. And yet it still manages to kill well over a couple thousand people, civilians for the most part. Although there are some prisoners of war that are killed, and you have the, the beheadings going on, the American POWs that are being beheaded by the Japanese militants. Things are just... Crazy. I mean, it's it's hard to imagine for us because we've never really experienced the last day of a war. You know, maybe I guess the closest thing would be the first Gulf War when when President Bush came on television and said, "That's it, we're done." Mm-hmm. And we didn't really know Mission that was An accomplished coming. banner, right? Well, that was different. That was the second one, but yeah, the first one when when George H. W. said, "That's it, we're done," and and nobody knew that was coming. I mean, we we were expecting to go all the way to Baghdad. Sure, and and, and and so we've never really experienced how crazy this this last day of things is, where people are trying to, uh, you know, accomplish whatever it is that they can accomplish. The coup fails, and the next day at twelve o'clock, Japanese time, by this point the Americans have gotten the word from the Swiss that the Japanese have accepted the Potsdam Declaration, they have unconditionally surrendered, the bombers turn back. Now, again, it's the last raid on the last day of the war. If you're one of those B-29 crew members, are you really all that excited about going to do this? I mean, Uh are you taking chances that you don't really want to take? A thousand planes go on this raid, you know, 800 bombers plus a couple hundred fighters. And in all of that, Bill, only one plane is lost. A a fighter plane that's actually hit by flak because the pilot is is flying too low and he gets hit by flag. He's the only casualty on the American side of this raid. So all the B-29 crews, including the one that went sightseeing, uh, make it back and everybody lands. And now we're just waiting for the broadcast that comes at 12 o'clock the next day. The Japanese emperor, for the first time, his voice is heard by his people. He broadcasts this this record in which he never actually tells his people that they're surrendering, but it's clear that he's telling them that they're surrendering. He never really uses those words. It's it's very confusing. It's bear the unbearable again. And the people are confused because they've never heard his voice before. They know it's him because they've been told it's him, but what is he really saying? For the most part, though, they get the message that, hey, the war is over, and you don't got to worry about the B-29s coming over tonight because we're done. And this thing is over. It's not going to be fun. It's not going to be pleasant in the next few weeks. But at least you don't have to worry about dying in a firebombing because we've declared the war over.
1: And don't forget anything you've missed of the show all day long. You can pick it up in the podcast section at BillMc.com and on the Live iHeart Radio channel. Day before we get to any calls that are coming in here, um, a lot of this war, very much of this Pacific War, Pacific islands scattered between Japan and Australia. And how long does it take the word to travel there? And how long does ground fighting or or other battles go on before we figure out this thing is over? Or before the Japanese figure out it's over?
0: Well, keep in mind that the Pacific theater is just absolutely immense. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think people understand how huge it is and how how much time is involved with crossing it. As for how long the fighting goes on, radio broadcasts are immediately launched. The the Americans are told cease all offensive operations. You can defend yourself, but no more you know, offensive operations. But there is a guy, uh, I forget his name now, in the Marshall Islands that will keep on keep on going until well into the 70s because he just doesn't get the word which becomes a TV trope and Gilligan's island and everything else and
1: yeah yeah we've seen those yeah. right
0: right but for the most part it's over it's not like Germany where there's a lot of terrorist activity um, it, it it's much different the the Japanese people are much more subdued than than the Germans were at the end of the war the, I'm not sure what the the functional differences, psychologically speaking, but they were clearly beaten. And they understood that getting rid of the, the military government, even as, even with keeping the emperor, they got rid of the military government. And that means things are going to be safer, which, of course, everybody wants.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Let's get to those phones. Line one, you're up first in an hour three with Dave Bowman. Good morning. Good morning, Dave Bowman. Hey, um the, uh, you know, for, for like, like 75 years, I've been hearing that, uh, uh, the nuclear bombs or, you know, it, 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 the whole world will end and it'll kill everyone in the world. It's on and on and on and on hysteria. But as far as I can tell, the nuclear bombs dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki killed, uh, killed, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, eventually killed about a couple hundred thousand people, um, you know, from burns and radiation and so forth. The, um... Small arms, you know, naval naval gunfire, small arms, bombing, battles, just 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 land battles killed probably twenty times more. Interesting thought, Mario, Dave. Uh, I guess we can tolerate uh, gun battles, but nuclear ba- nuclear battles we don't want to have to deal with.
0: Well, this is what I've said to people for years, and this is what people don't understand about atomic weapons: is they're not atomic weapons aren't any more destructive than regular bombs. They're just more efficient. It's just one instead of having to fly 800 bombers over and and do it that way. That said, uh, keep in mind that the two bombs dropped on Japan were very, very rudimentary bombs. And while there was radiation, uh, radiation gets a bad, a, a really bad reputation without really understanding it. If that were to happen today, it would be millions of times more destructive, and the radiation fallout would be much more significant. But anything's survivable if you know what you're doing. If you don't know what you're doing, then then it's a problem. But um, this idea of, you know, the, the, the nuclear weapons are going to crack the Earth's crust and we're all going to be destroyed is is absurd. But at the same time, I'm not advocating for nuclear war either. I mean, but then again, Bill... Uh, yeah. I live two and a half miles from Swiftpack, so if the balloon does go up, I'm pretty much fried, so.
1: Well, yeah, that would be true, and, and I, you have discussed on your podcast, other folks have discussed on their radio shows and the like, the uh, the idea of what's going on with Taiwan and China, and likelihood of some type of war striking out there, what's already going on in the Ukraine and what that means for Europe. Uh, we are always in a state of unsettled and potential for war.
0: Yeah, we are. And of course, was it a year ago that we were all nervously looking at Putin because he was making threats about using nuclear weapons? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, with my background and stuff like that, I'm a little more pragmatic about those things. Uh, But what what I also know is that irrational decisions are made by irrational people. And that's the pr- virtually every war in the modern era has been started by people who are being irrational and they don't think these things through the, the the decision to use an atomic weapon in a first strike capability is irrational. But if you're dealing with irrational people, say the mad mullahs of Tehran or someone else, yeah, you, you got to throw all the rules out the window. You don't know what's going to happen.
1: Does that change if you're talking tactical nukes?
0: No. Tactical nuclear weapons are just small weapons. They still have the same political effect. Um, You you start throwing around nukes, you've launched a strategic nuclear war, no matter matter how limited you you may think you can do it. That's why I don't see the Chinese doing it. I mean, what would be the point of – if all they wanted to do was get rid of Taiwan, okay, just flatten it. But they don't want that because they need all that manufacturing. They need all of that infrastructure that's there. So that limits what they can actually do. And in some ways, it's the same with Russia and Ukraine. They they want that oil, gas infrastructure. But mm-hmm. how do you get that without destroying it?
1: Ah, that's a good question, a good point. Let's get another call in while we have the opportunity. Lion one. You're on Bill Mick Live. Good morning. Yes, real quick, Frank in Melbourne. Hey, uh you know periodically it comes around somebody spouting out that we didn't have to drop the atomic bombs and that you know we killed too many people and blah 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 and and the counter to that is uh far more would have died on both sides if we had actually had to invade japan and i just you know that all makes perfect sense to me and and the hogwash that we should not have dropped the atomic bombs is exactly that hogwash and i just wanted to just wanted to get your
0: take on that thanks frank dave well, I'm of the opinion that we should have dropped them. And I, I don't, what what they did was they sent a political message rather than a military message. Again, Japan was beaten. It was flattened. It was burned to a crisp. But it was the idea that we can continue to do this or you can give up. And now we can do it more efficiently. So it's not going to cost us all these lives that you think it's going to cost us.
1: Very good. Final call of the day, line two. You're on Bill Make Live. Good morning.
0: Good morning. This is Mr. Bill Melbourne.
1: Yeah, Bill, go ahead. I have a question for Dave. Uh, does he believe a couple of atomic bombs would make America surrender? Interesting question, Dave.
0: Well, surrender to whom? Yeah. Whoever
1: it may be, he's not on the line oh. at
0: I, I would need a much more detailed description of that. Surrender, probably not. But if a couple of atomic bombs hit America, and let's say they're launched by Russia or China, no. And if the more likely scenario, which is that they're launched by a mad mullah somewhere, that's a different. That's a different. That's a terrorist attack, not a, not a military. Not a
1: attack. Military, yeah, that's very true. Dave, an interesting story about the conclusion of World War II that maybe we hadn't even thought about before. I appreciate that, my friend. We will look forward to seeing you next Tuesday for more Dave Does History on Bill McLive. Thank you to the West Coco Pharmacy for this hour of the program. Tomorrow, boys and girls, wide open Wednesday. You may want to go back to the impeachment. I got some Hunter Biden stuff to deal with. And we got some local stuff that'll make you scratch your head as well. But tomorrow's your day on Bill McLive. We'll talk to you in the morning starting at 6. Don't be late. Dave Bowman, thank you again for the day. I appreciate it. We'll talk next week. We'll see you then.